And finally, Neuralink, I guess. Uh, many of your listeners have likely heard of Neuralink uh, since it was launched by Elon Musk, who's a dear friend. And uh, they probably heard also, I think we all heard about the recent news that they have a, uh, approval for human trials uh, for their DAG-Brain interface. They've really done amazing work and the great capabilities and the great futures their technology could enable uh, are really uh, both mind-boggling and exciting uh, to think about. Uh, for now, it's just monkeys playing simple video games with only their brain. But imagine the potential benefits of that brain interface for someone shut in with, for example, ALS, such as was true for another late friend, Stephen Hawking, and the dramatic improvement someone like him could see in their quality of life and their connection to the outside world. Our guest for this episode of Austinpreneur is Letitia garriott Deku. She is a space tech investor, as well as a formal advisor to NATO, the U.S. Department of Defense, and many other national security-oriented organizations. In partnership with Elon Musk, Letitia launched a $100 million Carbon Renewal XPRIZE and still serves as a board member at the XPRIZE Foundation. We sat down with Letitia when she was at Capital Factory to give a keynote address at this year's Fed Supernova. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas, a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. Thanks, Nick. I'm super excited to be with you on the podcast. Uh, I'm the founder and managing partner of Global Space Ventures. I've been working basically at the nexus of commercial and defense. Uh, on the commercial side, my participation has been through Global Space Venture, where we've been funding and accelerating dual-use critical technology with a first investment in SpaceX in 2012 and several startups that have become unicorn, including two here in Texas, and also through the board of XPRIZE, which is the global leader in designing and operating incentive competitions to solve grand challenges. Now on the defense side, I've been serving on a NATO innovation advisory board for maritime and manned system, where we've proposed a digital ocean vision, a pretty cool concept. And I've also been serving on the Department of Defense Defense Science Board. What is the, the challenge that you see in which fast-tracking, critical, commercial technologies, dual-use technologies can solve? I see three of them. Uh, let me open by saying that the foremost and primary challenge that fast-tracking, dual-use, critical technology can solve is to sustain our military edge in the competition with China. Uh, there will always be a need for exquisite platforms like the F-16, but commercial technologies like Starlink that run the gamut from commercial space imagery to secure comms mesh networking are now making a huge difference on the battlefield as we've seen in Ukraine. And meanwhile, you have China that is investing heavily across critical technology sectors that will alter the balance of power on the battlefield. So if we want to sustain our edge in the competition with China, we must fund and accelerate dual use critical technology. A second element I would offer 
is that commercial technology also offers great advantages in supporting our allies and our partners, uh, basically advancing coalition capabilities. What we've seen uh, play out in Ukraine is that it's actually much easier to get commercial technology into the hands of a partner than into a program of record for the department, even when there is demand within the department. Uh, and I would say that it, in fact, goes beyond that. For example, with StarShield, uh, which is uh, the Starlink uh, SpaceX uh, constellation that is dedicated to government users, SpaceX is leveraging the proliferated LEO satellite constellation model it pioneered to build uh, what is essentially global capacity through partnership with multiple government customers in a unified architecture. And that's why StarShield, in my mind, is a great poster child of commercial technology because it comes with inherent built-in coalition capabilities, and that offers tremendous value to our country. Finally, I believe that investing in dual-use technology is somewhat of a requisite to keep us resilient and secure and diminish not only the impact, but also the likelihood of conflict. And this has to do with the very nature of dual-use technologies, which are disrupting not just the battlefield balance of power, but also showing promise in solving major civilian challenges, which often compound and exacerbate existing drivers of conflict. Uh, in other words, dual-use technology can also augment civilian resilience and thus may also add a level of deterrence thereby potentially changing the whole calculus of a potential attacker. They don't just limit the impact of conflict, they can work towards diminishing the likelihood of the conflict, which means that fast-tracking dual-use technology mm -hmm. allows us to work towards building a more peaceful world. The companies establishing commercial activity in outer space today could very well have a foothold on the largest opportunity of the next 100 years. Letitia has become a global thought leader around modern space technology, having been an early investor in SpaceX and previously co-founded a space tech company of her own called Escape Dynamics. Today, she invests through Global Space Ventures, where she has some big plans for the future, as you'll hear in this next segment. Let me share a few numbers that will help put things in perspective uh, a bit which is that the five largest defense primes cumulatively invest about $5.7 billion a year in R&D. Now, you contrast this with what top tech U.S. companies invest. That's closer to $175 billion a year. In other words, top tech companies outspend defense prime 30x in R&D. So uh, I know it's mind boggling and it's just plain smart therefore for the Defense Department to work towards leveraging some of that much bigger R&D pool to support our national security. Uh, so again, at the risk of repeating myself, if we want to sustain inventing, scaling, and adopting the critical use technology that can help us keep our edge in the competition with China, funding and accelerating those dual use tech and dual tech champions like SpaceX is the only mm -hmm. way forward. We see a rising number of compelling opportunities across the spectrum of critical technologies. The space domain is one of our focus areas and one where we continue to see compelling opportunities. Uh, but let me highlight one trend and two general themes where we're seeing large value creation potential under the dual tech umbrella beyond the space domain. 
Traditionally, what has been able to scale most quickly is industries that were inherently digital, like software. But what we're seeing now is a revolution in physical industries. Any industry where people build things using atoms, not just software code and bits. And that's because these industries now can employ powerful tools like machine vision, machine learning, and AI, digital twins, and essentially attacking science problem at scale in a way that was not possible before. Of course, there are many investable themes that will benefit from this trend, but the two I'll highlight here are uh, human warfighter, human and warfighter performance, uh, that's one. And another one is civilian and military resilience. Uh, when it comes to augmenting human and warfighter performance, we're looking at technologies like machine vision technology, LLMs, computational biology, and on the augmenting civilian and military installation resilience side, we're looking at all kinds of climate technologies that run the gamut from water to energy, uh, small nuclear power uh, generator, things like carbon intelligent materials. Global Space Venture is a venture fund that's focused on dual-use technologies. We're launching a new investment vehicle later this year for which we'll be taking some outside investment and for which we're working to be a part of the DOD SBA, SBIC critical technology program, which uh, was discussed here actually at Fed Supernova. Uh, dual use is largely how I invested in my family office fund over the last decade. Uh, started, as I was mentioning earlier, with a first investment in SpaceX in 2012 and several unicorns since. Uh, but also, uh, and one thing I'm particularly proud of, lots of value to our national security enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, SpaceX is a bit the poster child uh, for this. Uh, as John Hayden, the vice chairman of the Joint Chief uh, of Staff, pointed, SpaceX has saved tens of billions of dollars to our country through reusable space launch capability that far surpass those of our competitors and potential adversaries uh, to this day. Uh, not to mention that SpaceX has now built uh, this resilient LEO space architecture that's also unmatched in scale and capabilities and offers our country and the DoD the chance to now leverage billions of dollars uh, in commercial investment in Starlink. Commercial space activity is popping up across Texas. In Boca Chica near Brownsville, SpaceX's launch facility is rapidly preparing Starship for operations. Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin has a launch facility in far west Texas. Not to mention, Houston still calls itself Space City and is home to the Houston Spaceport. Leticia shares her optimistic outlook for space tech in Texas in this next part of our conversation. Well, the exciting part about being with you here on Austinpreneur podcast is that a ton of great dual-use tech is being built or continues to be innovated right here in Austin, even if the team didn't actually necessarily start out in Austin. Uh, some of uh, these that I'm particularly excited about uh, are SpaceX, uh, Spark Cognition, Neuralink, uh, we already spoke a bit about SpaceX and the incredible dual-use activities they're engaged in. You might have heard about their plans for a half a million square foot facility just outside Austin in Bastrop. Uh, that's roughly the size of five or six HEB stores, so it's pretty massive. And it would include a new Starlink manufacturing facility for satellite user terminals, 
which would essentially bring a part of building the future of space right here in Austin, which is pretty exciting. Beyond the already staggering facts, such as the fact that SpaceX now launches more mass into space than the rest of the world combined by some multiple, uh, they're doing it through incre increasingly reusable vehicle and radically dropping prices, which increases flight rate, increases safety and reliability. Uh, so this is a huge boon, not only for the commercial sector, but for science, for defense, and just the start. And Starlink, as I was mentioning before, which has proven itself commercially, has also now proven itself in battle. It's proven critical to the resilience of the Ukraine military, and those billions of commercial investment in Starlink now stand to benefit the DoD and allied military operation through Starshield, which is a real game changer. But let me switch to Spark Ignition because mm -hmm. it's another great Austin dual-use uh, story. Uh, Spark Ignition uh, built its AI reputation doing predictive maintenance on turbines for power generation, uh, AI for managing air corridors for planes and drones, and even putting AI assistance uh, in the cockpit uh, for Boeing planes. Uh, but it became quickly clear that the same technologies could be put to work uh, assisting fighter pilots, maintenance engineers, and even battlefield planners. Uh, so they open a separate entity uh, dedicated to government users, and they've since been selected as one uh, of the commercial partners on the $950 million Air Force contract to advance JATC2. So that's, that's pretty exciting. And as a matter of Austin interest, they have the most amazing drone facility here in Austin, which is an amazing place to see the future of drones, uh, both civil and military. And finally, Neuralink, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. Many of your listeners have likely heard of Neuralink uh, since it was launched by Elon Musk, who's a dear friend. And uh, they probably heard also, I think we all heard about the recent news that they have a uh, approval for human trials uh, for their DAG-Brain interface. They've really done amazing work, and the great capabilities and the great futures their technology could enable uh, are really uh, both mind-boggling and exciting uh, to think about. Uh, for now, it's just monkeys playing simple video games with only their brain. But imagine the potential benefits of that brain interface for someone shut in with, for example, ALS, such as was true for another late friend, Stephen Hawking, and the dramatic improvement someone like him could see in their quality of life and their connection to the outside world. And then imagine what's next, once they can bridge breaks in the spinal cord with pairs of sensors on opposite side of an injury, allowing two-way communication across the break and giving the first true hope to those, including veterans, who've been paraplegic, the hope of using their own lower bodies again with their own minds. Imagine yet a future where all of us can operate our own hardware just by thinking about it. Uh, their trained monkeys learn quickly that they could both save energy and do tasks faster merely by thinking of moving their hand that were attached to a mouse. It's not a big step to think about augmented players of video games that could quickly gain superiority from those without. And from there, to then think about aviation and combat with reflexes at the speed of thought. I always have to bring back everything to national security and defense. It's just the, the way I operate. Right. But I think it's pretty mind-boggling to think about. 
Space tech, I guess the one I've been most excited about beyond reusable launch technology, beyond proliferated LEO satellite constellation, both pioneered by SpaceX, is really space-based cell towers uh, to provide satellite direct to standard phone services. Uh, so what I'm talking about is cell towers in space to directly connect to the device already in your pocket. Uh, and that's a tech that was pioneered by one of our portfolio companies, Link, in which I invested in the pre-seed round in 2017. Uh, it's not a Texas company. It's actually a, a Virginia-based company. But there is an Austin connection. Uh, so hopefully it counts because I worked with uh, engineers from Silicon Labs here in Austin to review their technology. And honestly, it was so exotic. We had a hard time proving it on paper. Uh, but physical experiments quickly prove the concept, and the company now has three space cell towers operational, uh, not to mention that it's the only company approved by the FCC to offer that service. And one of the super compelling aspects of their technology is that it is a game changer for emergency and disaster response and building resilient communities, which ties back into uh, the discussion we were having earlier about the need to build up resilience uh, to decrease the likelihood and impact of conflicts uh, that I feel so strongly about. And as far as commercialization, uh, the company continues to increase the network of participating uh, mobile network operator through which it will deliver its service. It's proven two-way commercial and emergency messaging on all seven continents now and it's uh, now raising more funds to scale and provide service at broadband speed, which is uh, super, super exciting. That said, there are some cool technologies being built here in Texas mm -hmm. uh, that I've come across. Uh, I expect there will be a lot more as SpaceX brings more aerospace talent to Austin. Uh, one such uh, innovative tech that intrigued me is built by Firehawk. Uh, I think you did a podcast with them, actually. I just was in the elevator with Will before I came down here. Oh, wow. Uh, I haven't seen that they were on site, but yep. uh, I guess I'll see them later, uh, probably then. Uh, but they're building a hybrid rocket motor that uses 3D printed ABS plastic as fuel uh, that runs nitrous oxide uh, through it as an oxidizer. And the engine, they already tested it, throttable, restartable. I mean, you know all this since you did a podcast with them. Right. It's never bad to give a, a little uh, shameless marketing plug for another cool space company. So the, the 3D printing of their ABS plastic fuel cores is, is really cool because it's what allows them to get rid of bubbles and other variation that lead uh, most hybrid rockets to vary in power by about 15%. And that vibration and all the associated extra uh, vibration means most solids cannot be ganged up in a large cluster if needed uh, and has other performance impacts which their technology is essentially solving. The reason I mentioned them uh, is that there is potentially a large market for defense application uh, because these motors are shelf-stable, low-risk engine for everything from missiles to hypersonic boosters and more. So I think they, they, you know, that technology has cool prospects. Few people know Modern Venture Capital was kickstarted decades ago through the Small Business Administration's Small Business Investment Corporation Program, or SPICs for short. The program essentially allows venture funds to be lent capital to invest in U.S.-based startups and small businesses from the government. Recent changes in the program have created renewed interest in it by VCs. SBICs were brought up multiple times at Fed Supernova, and we wrap up this episode with Letitia's insights on the topic. 
it's a loan program that builds upon the SBIC loan program that's been uh, in existence since 1958 and actually burst uh, the venture capital asset class. In fact, it's a little known fact, but SBIC led to uh, some investment in supercomputers, uh, major technology companies like Apple, Intel, Tesla, and others in their early days uh, with uh, loan guarantees that matched private capital that was being deployed into these companies. And the SBIC program, as it had been designed, did not work for VCs. Uh, but the DOD and the SBA partnered to sponsor the launch of a new SBIC instrument uh, called an accrual debenture that has a 10-year duration that aligns with the cash flow patterns and longer duration often required to scale critical technology investment. And the result of that is to lever the returns to limited partners investing in firms like ours backing critical technology through government-backed loan guarantee that the fund can draw to match the private capital it will allocate to this dual-use technology startup. It's also a great way for the DOD, frankly, to capitalize on all the research and due diligence that the private sector, the private investor segment is doing to vet this investment. So again, a win-win for investors and a, and a win for the security of our country. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode.